right, hello everybody, and welcome to the Flashback Flicks podcast. My name is Ricky. I'm Grayson, and we are in the same room as each other. We are breathing the same air. We're looking into each other's eyes without two screens between us. It's true. I mean, there is a screen between us now, but that's. But we're not looking through it. You're not looking through it. Yeah, yeah. So that that was our teaser. The tease is that Grayson was uh, heading down. Just so he could record this podcast. Yeah, it's it was an expensive podcast. Very expensive. Thousands of miles were traveled. So that we could talk all about The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Love that song. Like, that was, like, one of the things that I was, like, I really, truly remembered um, from back when I watched this was that song. Yeah. Like the, uh, like the Darth Maul song. It's just so epic and just really on par with like the Imperial March. Mm-hmm. And I, man, anyway. Villains get the best theme songs. They really do. I think, uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast is a perfect example oh, of the oh, absolutely. best theme song. So we decided to watch this movie, uh, A, because, uh, the new Star Wars film is, Fastly approaching its release date, but also because uh, our the movie that we just got done watching on the previous episode of the podcast was Jingle All the Way. Yes, and it was just like, well, I think it's obvious what we need to do. Jake Lloyd double feature. <laughs> it was uh, just right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and so that is why we're here, and um, we're going to talk about it now. Uh, this movie had a ton of anticipation when it came out in 1999. Um, and at that point in time, as a kid, Grayson, did you see Star Wars? Like, did you see the previous trilogy or the original trilogy? Episodes four, five, six. Oh, yeah. I had poured over it. I was like, well, I just finished watching Back to the Future again. I'll go watch the Star Wars trilogy again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I loved this, the original trilogy. And so in 1999, I was 11 and super excited for this movie to come out and really upset that they didn't cast you as young Anakin. No, that was too much pressure. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in the movie. I wanted to enjoy the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when I saw the movie, I, I remember seeing it in theaters, but when I saw it, I'm pretty sure I had not seen the star Wars films at that point. in time. Oh, really? I think I'm pretty sure that was my first star Wars movie. Because as a kid, like I've said many times before this podcast, I mostly watch cartoons. Oh, yeah. Um, and anytime I saw a movie that uh, was live action, it wasn't like I didn't necessarily have a draw unless, of course, it was the Ninja Turtles or uh, Space Jam. Mm. But, um, yeah, so when I first saw it in theaters, I actually really enjoyed it. And so I didn't have a lot of the attachment that uh, many people had when they first watched it. But then, after I watched the other movies, I, uh, I, I saw why there was uh, some frustration with this movie. So watching it, not having seen the original trilogy, were you confused as to why people were being so sketchy to this kid? I was. Like, I didn't know what it was about. Like, I, the only thing I knew is that they made a movie about what happened before the original Star Wars. I knew oh, okay. that Star Wars was... Ether, and I, I'm pretty sure I thought that was young Luke Skywalker. Oh. I think that's why I thought. She's like, oh yeah, that's young Luke Skywalker. And the only thing I really remember is just seeing things happen and being really 
uh, impressed with the fight scenes. Like that's like because I was a kid and I don't know anything about uh, trade routes or treaties being signed because <laughs> I don't watch C-SPAN. You're right. Yeah, galactic senates and whatnot. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, when I first saw it, then I was like, oh, I mean, this is cool. But I didn't understand why everyone was freaking out about it. Yeah. Well, there were different talks about how this story came to be. The fact that the originals were labeled episodes four, five, and six hint that there was a plan to do this prequel all along. Oh, yeah. It's not like a money-grabbing kind of thing. It's just like this was the plan to flesh out the story. Yeah. Um, so that that helps. That That goes to its favor. Oh, my goodness. An angel gets its wings. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, there was a lot of... Like you said, anticipation for sure. And I think any movie that has that much anticipation is kind of doomed to fail. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, like you pointed that out, that there were there's always an intention to actually make the the prequels. Because like, I remember seeing this old interview with uh, young um, Han Solo. Cannot remember his real Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Um, a young Harrison Ford being like on a talk show interview right before... Um, episode six came out and they said, you know, there, there, there are plans to make, uh, talk about what happened before we even showed up. And so if there were to be more movies made, it wouldn't have us in it because it would take place before. And they talk about like the idea of like what led up to everything else. So they've been planning to do episodes one, two, and three for a while, um, but there are, there's a lot of evidence in the movie that points to it being like a cash grab type of thing because this movie actually came out 17 or 16 years after the premiere of uh, episode six, Return of the Jedi. And it felt like there were, I don't know. The thing that we're dancing around (laughs) is the idea that um, this movie, there's a combination of the history of the movie being made and people's reaction to it, mm-hmm. but also what the future has told about the movie. Like, it's hard to talk about this movie in context to its time without currently knowing uh, people's reaction to it and people's um, understanding of what that movie is, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're talking about people's reaction to episode one or to episode seven? Um, one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so episode one came out at a time when people were really excited and really anticipating the Star Wars movie. Yeah. And like you were saying, the movie that's going to be that hyped is going to be destined to fail. Now, when we were re-watching this movie, um, or at least when I was re-watching it, I was seeing a lot of things that people were being fairly nitpicky about. But mm-hmm. overall, the movie as itself is fine. Yeah, it's fine. It, it's just fine. Like, I... It's kind of like... Um, how a lot of people responded to Dark Knight Rises. It's just like, it's a good movie, but it wasn't this other movie. And so it's hard for us to, for me, it's hard to kind of give this movie its fair history and judgment, knowing that there are other things playing into it. Cause like, for example, there's this um, very extensive review with a uh, red letter media. Oh yes. Um, Mr. Plinkett, Mr. Plinkett. And he talks about just the difference in style in the original Star Wars trilogy and 
this one, which started with episode one. One of the major differences in the way that they made it is the practical effects versus the digital effects. There's actually only one scene in episode one that is not composited to have a digital effect in it. And it's whenever the gas is entering the room at the yeah. beginning, which would be a great scene to use digital effects so you don't have to gas your actors. But that's the one. Uh, so, yeah, every every scene basically had green screen incorporated into it uh, to the point of uh, each of the actors, like the sets were built to how tall the actors were. Uh, and Liam Neeson is so much taller that it actually cost set construction an extra $150,000 because of that extra space that they had to add on to the set. Because above wow. them, just green screen or blue screen, I guess, in this case. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and even despite how people felt about the movie, it made uh, $924 million worldwide uh, during its initial uh, theatrical run. And it was the second highest film um, behind the Titanic. So. But that's the Titanic. Yeah. How are you going to beat that? It's going to be hard to beat that. And. Um, I, no, I can't wait for that sequel. Yeah. Titanic 2. The, Back uh, in the water. The boat awakens. <laughs> yeah, the boat awakens. <laughs> that was a real thing. People died. We're being so insensitive. I'm so sorry. So, the movie. Let's get into the recap of it. So, we tried... That, that was some very vague history of it, but now we're going to go into the recap of it. It's a lot, a lot of politics in this movie. A lot of politics. This is the house of cards of the Galactic Senate. It really is. It's just like... Oh man, Star Wars! I'm excited. Space travel, lightsabers. Why are we talking about trade routes and taxations? Mm-hmm. Like, is this like, like what? What's happening? And and I get, but at the same time, I understood why and how it needed to motivate action forward. Just because it's what it is, and that's the story that they want to tell. And I get that, but it doesn't start off very excitingly because at the very least with the you know comparing it to something like a new hope uh it starts out with um someone trying to escape and you have this action scene like we are in the middle of the action yeah and they um you know they talk about this with movies you want to start your movie or you want to start your story at the most interesting point in time in this character's life and the latest possible point in the story which is why prequels are always a little iffy anyway because if you were able to tell the original story why do you need a prequel? Exactly. Like, if they would have started with them trying to escape, they said, oh, this is supposed to be a peaceful, like, two Jedi were sent to sign this peace treaty, and it starts right in the action. Just like, ah, oh, so much for peaceful treaty. And then just, like, start there, I think would have helped to ease people into the same kind of action. Like, it start yeah. the beats start at the same time. Like, they are escaping. Leia was escaping, yeah. and um, we have Qui-Gon Jinn, and Obi-Wan escaping these people trying to kill them. It's just like, we didn't do anything, and they're just trying to attack us. It's just like, I told you, there's more than what we were expecting to be here, and all these other things. I think that just would have been a stronger pacing choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of the exposition of this movie could have been summed up by the big yellow space letters that you read at the beginning. Yes. Like, a, a huge chunk of the movie feels like the kind of stuff we typically read in Star Wars rather than watch. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and uh, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn said, be mindful of the future. And uh, I think that's something that they uh, should have done with this movie. It was one of the things... Ow! 
he did it. He did it. It's just the, um, there are few setups and payoffs um, with the movie. There are a handful, but there are some things that just happen just because movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are a lot of people who um, complain about the role of Jar Jar Binks, uh, despite the Jar Jar theory. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but how a lot of times he's just in the movie and there are just scenes where he's just like, all right, kids, you ready to laugh? Well, we bring Jar Jar on the scene and he just, he's going to do a thing. Like there, there was a fart joke in there that was just, it broke up the scene for no reason. I said, uh, we didn't need that. Like, mm-hmm. like why, why are we, why is he here? And uh, one of the things that Mr. Plinkett from uh, Red Letter Media points out is that like this movie feels very much like uh, George Lucas is trying to make a kid's movie. Or yeah. he's trying to make the Star Wars kids movie. Like, even the guy who made the announcement uh, to request um, access into the board, or, like, the thing where they, or permission to... Uh, From the Trade Federation? Yeah. At yeah. the very beginning, it's like a kid. It's like a kid saying, hey, hey, mister, can, can we go on board? He's like, yeah, sure thing. And it's just like, it's just a kid. I'm like, <laughs> why is, like, it's, it, it feels very much like they are putting more kids in different roles and trying to get kids to be prominent in this movie uh, a lot. But at the same time, I get it. It's tough because I understand what they were trying to do, Mm -hmm. but I also see how it misses the mark on certain Star Wars uh, storytelling devices. Yeah, I can appreciate the decisions that were made. Mm -hmm. I I know a lot of people are like, George Lucas, you ruined my childhood. Like, that's that's unfair. (laughs) The (laughs) guy, it's not like he wanted to tank his legacy or anything like that. The guy tried his best, and one man does not make a movie. Totally. It is a complete team effort. Absolutely. Um, So the fact that any movie gets made is a miracle. So I approach it, I I mean, I'll say, when I saw it when I was 11, I loved this movie. I went crazy about this movie. I played several games based on it. I had uh, hundreds of dollars in Legos uh, (laughs) that I can never repay my parents. Uh, Like, I went nuts about this movie. And so I I even had a little thing that was, we talk about the Jar Jar issue. I had a thing where it was a Jar Jar puzzle, but you built it three-dimensionally. And so you had to lay layers yeah. down a rod. I remember those puzzles? Yeah. Puzzles? Yeah, yeah. But not like the foam ones. They were like layers that you would stack up. Oh. Uh, and so it made like this bust of Jar Jar. I spent hours on it. I know exactly what you're talking about. I loved this movie. So if I was the target demographic, then yeah, I mean, he, he nailed it. Yeah. But I wasn't really who the movie should have been made for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's this thing that happens with a lot of children's programming where people will make movies, or they'll make content for kids, but they'll pander to kids. Mm-hmm. And that's something that uh, I get why that's there. I mean, just using any media to talk about this, like uh, Blue's Clues, for example. Blue's oh, yeah. Clues is talking to kids, and it's not necessarily pandering to kids, but like you can tell this is not necessarily for adults. Yeah. But then you have other shows, um, I'd say like Adventure Time, which is a quality show that has kids in mind. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily talking down to kids or pandering towards kids, but it is more so of a family show than a kid's show. There are several moments throughout the movie where they it very much becomes like a kid movie uh, at different points in time. But, again, this is just this movie alone. And later on, oh, it gets real. It gets real in episode three. Because um, 
it definitely uh, matures in that way. Yeah, right. Hey, kids, you want to see a guy lit on fire? Um, yeah. I see. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice, uh, because uh, there's this idea that the Jedi, that the the Jedi fighting was just too much. Like the, the a lot of people online. Talk oh, the about choreography of it. The choreography of yeah. it. It's just like very fanciful. But some the counter argument to that was that the Jedi at this point in time are knights. They are Jedi knights. They are highly trained, and this is how they would fight mm-hmm. upon years and years of training. It's like the Revolutionary War, where people before that would line up like, oh, it's high noon, and we're going to stand in the line and shoot each other with muskets, and the front line dies, and that's how you do war. Yeah. Uh, well, Revolutionary War, we started hiding in bushes and jumping out and ambushing people, mm-hmm. totally changed the landscape of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a much more civilized kind of fighting style from these knights mm-hmm. uh, of the Republic. Totally. Uh, fun fact about those knights, it comes with a standard issue uh, bat utility belt because they just had these oxygen tanks ready for them to have when they were when they met up with Jar Jar. Right. I was just like, all right, we're going to go swimming with this guy. They had these little oxygen breathers that they just pulled out of their Jedi utility <laughs> belt and they just go underwater. I'm like, um, I'm sorry, is that like a standard issue underwater oxygen tank or something and how come they work for water but they don't work for the gas that was being pumped in at the beginning of the movie there are a lot of holes to fix that they just went (gasps) (laughs) like well poisonous gas take a big breath yeah like yeah (laughs) i was just so thrown off by that i said wait so they just have that like again there's no setup for that there's no or just like yeah we have it we're jedi uh, let's go underwater with Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my favorite, absolute favorite line in the entire movie, it made me laugh the loudest, is when Qui-Gon Jinn. So Qui-Gon walks up to one of the droids and says, we are going to Coruscant. And the droid's like, uh, what? We are going to Coruscant. Uh, Coruscant, uh, that doesn't compute, uh, you're under arrest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just my favorite moment in the entire movie. I was like, ah, this was worth it. This yeah. scene alone, it was worth it. It was just like the processing. Uh, this is complete. Uh, you're under arrest. But programmed with vocal fillers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I right. thought that was so funny. Oh, man. Yeah. And then um, the thing that I thought was really interesting is like, so Darth Maul shows up um, mm-hmm. in the hologram. He's like, well, my apprentice will show up. I'm like, what is the uh, Sith internship like like what's the application process like it's highly competitive like, <laughs> like i feel like he would just show up for the interview and say uh you got the job you, you got it it's yours let's start training you in in the ways of the dark side of the force and um i'm sure you'll do great it's like you got the look you got the face tattoos the little horns you're a shoe in for a sith yeah Actually, I was looking for some more admin work. Oh, no, 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 no. No. no, no. You're, you're going to be out in the field. No, but I've done a lot of uh, research on the Trade Federation. I really think that we can make some headway with this. Listen, kid, you're an intern. <laughs> All right? I want you to go down to the cantina and get me some coffee. <laughs> uh, interesting thing about Darth Maul, uh, originally that part was going to go to Benicio Del Toro plays the collector in the Marvel movies now. Oh. Uh, but they cut a lot of Darth Maul's lines, and he was like, peace out. So they got Ray Park, who is an extremely agile actor, oh, yeah. 
he was in X-Men, he's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, he was Toad. Yeah. He was Toad in X-Men, he was also the Knives guy in Heroes. He, he was the Knives guy. <laughs> if you stuck around for season four, he was the he Knives was guy. There. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a little alternate casting there. Yeah, interesting. So, after Naboo, they make their way onto Tatooine, mm-hmm. um, where we found our boy. My mind is here, Anakin guy. Uh, so Anakin uh, shows up, and I forget, and it, it's 100% because we just saw Jingle all the way, but I'm just like, oh, um, this is this kid's range. Yes, like, Jake Lloyd has a very specific style of speaking. He said, hey, guys! Like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, cool, uh, he's here. Uh, but he, uh, he shows up, and he lays down the smoothest uh, pickup line. He's like, hey, are you an angel? She's like, what? Said, oh, smooth, Anakin, smooth. <laughs> like, oh, like I want, like, <laughs> like I would imagine that uh, that's what you would want to tell him. Like, oh, by the way, like later, Darth Vader's like, oh, um, so how'd you meet my mom? Uh, well, I asked her if she was an angel. That worked. It was a simpler time, son. It is, and we have a totally different faith system on <laughs> Tatooine, so it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then the. Um, and so then we get to the whole revelation that um, he, uh, Anakin built C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also get to the point that um, Anakin's like, oh, man, Jedis are so cool and uh, no one can kill a Jedi. And it's just like, oh, no, Anakin. Nice foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Because Qui-Gon says, oh, I wish that were true. Yeah. Doom, doom. And then, and then it said an interesting line. Like and this was another line that kind of played, uh, or that stood out to me this time around was like, "Greed can be a powerful ally." Um, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting because that is what they use. That's what um, Sith uses to manipulate Anakin later on. Mm, the promise of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and all these other things. Like just, I was like, hmm, this is like, like." Like at, there are definitely points where this movie is it's pretty good. Like story wise and narrative wise, um, they have some really solid scenes and really solid uh, character development uh, with these characters. It's it's when they um, turn into another movie. It's just like, hey man, it's been a while since Jar Jar said something. Let's give him something to do. Like let's have him electrify his tongue because he's jar jar or uh let's have him like hear a farts somewhere because he's jar jar like so there's several times where he just turns into a sitcom like yeah. jar jar laugh track, laugh track, laugh track. <laughs> he enters the audience applause <laughs> oh, he's back you guys oh. yeah and um and so then it's uh revealed that Anakin was conceived by the Force. Yeah, if you didn't get the Messiah message there earlier, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, Virgin Mary got it. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the one. And um, and then he also, uh, they also, it, they call him Annie. Annie, yeah. And every single time, I couldn't stop laughing. It's like, you did it, Annie. I'm just like, little orphan Annie. Little if orphan someone Annie. has not done that parody online, yeah, it needs to happen. It needs to be uh, young Anakin in um, in the junk shop uh, singing "It's a Hard Knock Life," mm-hmm. and I need that to happen. And I'm going to search the internet for it. If it's not there, and you're listening to this, make it happen. 
But the crazy thing is he would play Little Orphan Annie, but he would also play Daddy Warbucks when he takes his helmet off. <laughs> yes. Big, scary, rich, bald guy. Yep, that's the one. Yep, Darth Warbucks. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. You've taught me so much. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and another thing that people get upset about with this movie in particular is the discovery that the midichlorians are in the cells. Yeah, let's really just break it down. Yeah, well, so at first it's a thing where he's like, hey, I'm sending you a blood sample. Tell me what his midichlorian count is. And it's like, oh, it's over 6,000 or something like that. And he's like, that's the highest, like, no Jedi has had that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Not even Yoda. Not even Yoda. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Like, they're, like, it's kind of understated, but they just mention it. It's just like, oh, cool. Because the, the balance is very important here. Yeah. Like, the balance of the Force and the Sith. Mm-hmm. So, but if something's so high like that, will it throw the balance off? So it creates a cool dialogue between yeah. them. And then the movie stops. <laughs> it has the after-school special moment where Anakin says, hey, Mr. Qui-Gon, how many midichlorians? Like, what are midichlorians? Like, well, let's see. And then, like, <laughs> Dino DNA. Dino DNA. And like, the it's 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 one of those moments where it just really uh, speed bumps the movie. Yeah. Like, you don't need that scene. Like, he doesn't need to explain to him what midichlorians are. Mm-hmm. You just need to know that it's high and it's important, and that makes Anakin valuable. Yeah, I think. It was them trying to overjustify questions nobody really had. Right. Like, how do you become a ghost after you get struck down by a lightsaber? Well, you're constructed from the midichlorians, and that's essentially what your body is. Like, all the flesh part of you is done away with, but Obi-Wan can live on and tell him to go to Dagobah because he's constructed of midichlorians or something like that. Yeah. Even just saying it, I ran out of steam. <laughs> Well, I mean, that makes sense, but it, it's one of those things where the knowing about, knowing details about what's unknown makes it less interesting almost. Mm-hmm. Like kind of in the lore of like Doctor Who, for example, like knowing more about the specifics of the TARDIS and how it works or even the Doctor and like who he is kind of takes away from what draws you to him is that it is unknown. Yeah. Like there are, there are several things that they didn't to explain throughout the movie but they just but they chose not to except for the midichlorians like the midichlorians is the one thing where they're just like okay so here's how midichlorians work and it's the thing that surrounds us i'm just like um how about the force just to, just just say the force is all around us and be done with it yeah like they're like how obi-wan explained it to luke yeah yeah like it just needs to be a simple thing but it doesn't need to be like okay great so midichlorians they're in my blood when a man loves a woman <laughs> Let me show you on the doll. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just one of those moments that I think, because um, the movie as a whole isn't all bad. Um, there are just moments like this that just get in the way of the movie mm-hmm. and get in the way of the story. Like, it could have been half an hour shorter if they took, oh, out, yeah. like, different scenes. Like, that one, for example, like, okay, that's like five minutes right there that we well, it's like what we were saying, all the Trade Federation stuff, like that, that's yellow block text. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just have several, like just bring back the yellow blocks. It's like, and then the Trade Federation, <laughs> just halfway through the movie, just like, and this continued on for several hours. Yeah. Do the old trope of the news reporter just summoning, <laughs> summarizing it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I would have loved that. And so then things happen, and then there's this moment in the movie <laughs> where... 
Um, the queen goes in. The, the queen uh, reveals herself to be the actual queen. Padme is the queen. And not Kira Knightley. Yeah, and not Kira Knightley. And so there's this one point in time where they say, okay, great, we're going to ambush the people who have already taken over uh, Naboo. And they start doing that, but um, they say, okay, we need to keep you safe, queen. But she just reveals herself. I'm like, okay, well, this is my um, bodyguard and my double. And then they go into this room, just guns ablaze, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, why is the queen and Anakin on the front line of this battle? Yeah. Like, he's like, hey, Anakin, like, Annie, get to a safe place. Like, he's right next to you. Get him <laughs> behind you. Have him hide behind something. Like, why? This is a terrible strategy. This is a terrible strategy. Really, not a lot of thinking through. No, no, no. You Jedi are so reckless. Yeah, yeah, they are. They really yeah, are. terrible babysitters. Yeah, someone who, who pointed out that like Quai Hunted is like little works Jedi. Oh, it was Mr. Plinkett yeah. again. Yeah, he was saying that the he, he violates the code. They even say that like you would be on the council if you would just like follow a rule. <laughs> yeah, he, he uses the force to uh, like gamble. Basically. Yeah, he fixes the bed against Watto. Yeah, fixes the bed against Watto. He. Um, Trains Anakin despite orders. Like, he is a rogue cop who doesn't play by the rules. Yeah. Like, he really is. Like, and that's the other thing. I think if, I think there's an interesting storyline between um, Qui-Gon being, like, the apprentice cop. Mm-hmm. And, like, these being, like, quote-unquote peacekeeper cops. Yeah. Because they act a lot like um, a police force, almost. Just, like, throughout the movie. Just, like, in how, like, they are... Not necessarily enforcers, but they are uh, protectors. They're protectors, and they like they go out on different missions. And just, I just saw a lot of parallels. Just like, well, I'm going to train this boy. Just like you're out of order. Just like, turn <laughs> in your turn in your saber and your cloak. You're through. Like, I believe in him. I'll train him myself. Just like, oh, fine. Goes and gets a bulletin board and <laughs> has the yarn connecting all the pieces. There's something here. He's like oh, Palpatine has the same chin as Sidious. <laughs> <laughs> just go straight to the top yeah. <laughs> and then um and then the dark mall fight scene i mean again it's that, beautiful it's one like that scene is great and i remember it's something that a lot of people point to it's just like oh well it's just so over the top i'm like but it's i don't think it it, it matches that scene like it's very poetic almost mm-hmm. it is like a dance and yeah. there's not a lot of dialogue it's just the entire scene you just have two minutes of just fighting and I thought that was so cool. And we never knew what Darth Maul's intent was. Because they mentioned before, he's like, we'll finally be able to get revenge. I'm just like, what? But what revenge are you trying to get? And we just, we, he's just silent and sinister. It's like, what? what is he fighting for? So why we need more prequels. <laughs> let's take it three back. All right, let's Episode explain it. Point three. Let's see how the midichlorian started. <laughs> Whatever the Big Bang is within that universe. Oh, I just want the Midichlorian movie to be an animated uh, movie with Josh Gad as the <laughs> first Midichlorian. Oh, man. <laughs> I have so many feelings. <laughs> it definitely be a Pixar film. Absolutely. Yes. And then, you know, um, Qui-Gon gets killed by Darth Maul. Um, Darth Maul gets killed by... Sliced in half. Yeah. Such, I mean, that whole scene 
in that whole sequence of scenes was just it's really powerful. Yeah. Like you see just the loss and the um the challenges of dealing with the reality of that scene because like at this point in time like he's the first major death in the scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he um he was propelling a lot of the plot forward. So like there definitely is a role to be filled by Obi-Wan. And I think that's a, I think that was a really powerful relationship that they had with it. Yeah, and at the time, I'd say tied with Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Liam Neeson was the most famous actor in that movie hmm. that I can think of off the top of my head, other than like Anthony Daniels, who had done the previous Star Wars films. But um, well, I, I personally am a huge fan of Jar Jar's early work. Um, <laughs> And Jar Jar Goes to College was a big one. Oh, yeah. Jar Jar Scared Stupid was pretty huge. Um, Jar Jar is The Graduate. That's one of my favorites. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Misa Go to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the audience not knowing what the trilogy was going to be, like who is this going to be based around? Like, yeah. oh, Liam Neeson. Okay, cool. He's going to be like our Harrison Ford for this. Mm-hmm. Or like we're going to kind of rally around him. And then, oh, he's dead. <laughs> That was a shock. No, this is Obi-Wan's Obi-Wan, and he's gone. Yes, which is a good point that they bring up in the Machete Order. Yeah, and so we're going to go ahead and talk about the Machete Order. For those of you who don't know, the Machete Order uh, for watching Star Wars is the idea uh, created by a user named uh, Machete. Um, No Machete juggling. Uh, And in 2011, he came up with the Machete Order of watching Star Wars. Now, this is a way for you to watch Star Wars... Um, both the original trilogy and then the prequel trilogy as a complete story. And mm-hmm. what he recommends is that you start with watching episode four. Four. So you start with yeah, a new four, hope. then you go to five, then you watch episode two, mm-hmm. then episode three, then episode six. So that's four, five, two, three, six. Right. The reason why we want to talk about the Machete Order is because the Machete Order omits the first movie. It does. Yeah, and so what he recommends is, or the reason why he omits the first movie is he says that um, episode one isn't, he says it's not that bad, but he just says it's the most irrelevant. It's unnecessary. To the story. I want to make it perfectly clear, these are not our ideas here. This is the Machete who came up with it. Yeah, we're reading from his post. Not Danny Trejo, but... (laughs) Machete. Machete, Is yeah. the Machete order uh, <laughs> yeah. where you just watch uh, all the Machete films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's saying that the um, the episode one um, holds the least um, significance in terms of showing uh, the whole story of the original trilogy to what the prequels were trying to tell. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the things that you miss out from the first episode is... Um, a lot of Jar Jar memes. A lot of Jar Jar. You don't get any Qui-Gon Jinn, even though they reference him once or twice. You see Jar Jar in, two, uh, in episode two. Uh, but basically his argument is any information that you think that you need from episode one is summed up in episodes two and three. Yeah. Yeah, because they allude to it. Because again, going back to that idea of going back to that, the person's most interesting uh, point in time of their story, mm-hmm. um, Episode two with the Clone Wars is Anakin's most interesting part of his story. Yeah. And his story parallels Luke's story 
more because they're around the same age. Yeah. They're around the same age and they have the same kind of discovery um, of their abilities and they want more. Both of them want more from their life. And they both get put into different situations where they are rising to the occasion. And it makes more sense with the argument of he's too old to train because you look at Jake Lloyd and he's like, he's a kid. And you see the Jedi Academy and like, they're not that much younger than Jake <laughs> Lloyd was. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. And then they, it just kind of makes the Jedi Council look like uh, early fussy private school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have, um, like, they, they do have these different things that um, introduce you to, like, the universe. Like, here are these Jedi, here are midichlorians, here are, like, it, it's not as essential as something like, um, like episode two or three. But if you're watching the Machete Order, you already know what the Force is, you know all that from watching exactly. episodes four and five. Yeah. Because Obi-Wan has the patter down by that point. Mm -hmm. He knows how to explain what the Force is, and you're good to go. Totally. And, um, and I was actually thinking about the Machete Order in trying to see if it would actually be beneficial to watch episode one as an epilogue, almost. Yeah, some um, some iterations of the Machete Order do include episode one at some point, Yeah, whether it's extended content or you th do throw it in. Um, but ultimately, the, in its purest form, they try to stick to that four, five, yeah. two, three, six model. Um Another benefit visually that you get from watching the Machete Order is uh, Obi Wan always has a beard. <laughs> yeah, this thing. So visually, it's consistent. Uh, Anakin Skywalker is always wearing black, <laughs> uh, and so they look like the characters that they're meant to represent. Yeah. The cool thing about it, story wise, it, and the real benefit of the Machete Order is that you start with Luke's story in Episode Four, and you see his journey. For those who had not seen it. Like the the big twist at the end of episode five, and spoiler. it's spoiler. Like it is, it is common knowledge now. But at the time, it was a huge shock that Darth Vader is Luke's father. You yeah. see that your mind is blown oh, out the absolutely. side of your head, and so then you flash back to see how is that true? How is that possible? And that's where you pick up episodes two and three to see Anakin's journey. Yeah. Um, very similar to how Godfather is structured. Godfather Part Two mm -hmm. is structured where. Uh, you see Michael Corleone's stone, uh, story, and then you go back to see the story of like how his father grew up. Um, very similar structure, which is pretty cool. Uh, so then you're, you're going through episodes two and three to see Anakin's journey. Get to the end of episode three. You don't know this yet, but you see the birth of Luke, and you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. That makes sense. Connected the dots. Okay, let's go back to Luke and see it. Wait a minute. There's a second baby, and her name is Leia. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. And so that that's a huge ramp up into the finale of episode six, where Luke's story and Anakin's story are resolved at the same time. And by proxy, Layla's story are all resolved at the same time, which is very important uh, to see how episode seven will kind of take place since it is focused on that Leia Han relationship. Yeah. as one of the storylines. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that fits into it, but uh, it tees you up very nicely to be able to hit those those surprising benchmarks at, at an act break. Totally. Because by watching it in that order, 
um, one of the things that Machete points out is that it reserve it preserves those twists. Mm-hmm. It preserves those stories and those twists and turns because basically, if you start out with episode one, uh, if you watch them in order, you know everything. Yeah, like in the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father is is well, I knew that. Like, why is everyone anticipating this? And that's one of the things I couldn't tell when watching the movie. I'm just like. Are we supposed to know that Palpatine is the Sith Lord? Because it's kind of obvious. It's pretty obvious. The guy's wearing a hoodie. Yeah, <laughs> he, like he's wearing a hoodie, and like they just hold on his face for a little too long. I'm just like, no, you, you, I mean, you guys want us to visually know that this guy cannot be trusted. Yeah, when he gets electrocuted later on, like I think it's Episode Three, when his fight against Mace Windu. Yeah, like and his face gets all gnarled. It's like, oh yeah, I guess he did have a wrinklier face. I didn't think that was like. A symptom of being electrocuted, right. but okay, yeah, he basically looks the same. Yeah, yeah. And then the um, one of the other things we want to talk about, um, in addition to the machete order, the Jar Jar theory. Oh, let's have some fun. We are going to have so much fun. So, like we were just talking about with the machete order, uh, episode one eliminates a lot of Jar Jar. Jar Jar's uh, role in episodes two and three is very few and far between. Like he might have five lines um, between two and three. Um, He's more mature in the other ones. Yeah. Um, But if we do eliminate episode one, we would eliminate um, a lot of great um, Jar Jar theories. Yes. Again, this is not our theory. No. Uh, Do we know who came up with it? This has kind of been populating around the internet. Yeah. uh, Fairly recently, even. So the Jar Jar theory is interesting because it started up whenever people were analyzing the, uh, I guess, frame by frame, the trailers of episode seven. Uh, and you have Kylo Ren, who is the the new masked villain, kind of taking the place of Vader. He's yeah. a Vader fanboy. Um, we have our own theories about who he actually is. Yeah. Um, but uh, he is similar to Vader in the sense that he has a boss, like how Palpatine was Vader's boss, so or Sidious was Vader's boss. So uh, questions over like who is the boss, who is Supreme Leader Snoke, is kind of who he's been identified as. And the Jar Jar theory says, well, it's Jar Jar. Yeah, it's, it's Jar Jar. Yeah, uh, user Lumpawaro um, on Reddit uh, proposed the Jar Jar theory. And uh, it is, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. He's, he's got a little bit of evidence backing it up, too. So uh, some of it deals with how Jar Jar moves in the first movie. Um, he uses a style of uh, is actual style of fighting that translates to, I think, drunk boxing. Yeah. Um, where you seem like you're off kilter, you have this appearance of clumsiness, but you're actually in control the whole time uh, to lull your uh, victims into a false sense of security. Um, also, the way that he jumps into the lake is essentially a force jump. So he has some ability with the force. Yeah. Um, uh, in that same scene where he does the lake jump, it's in- interesting to note that all of the uh, animals are running away from the big tanks. He's the only one running towards them. Um, and if he really was as cowardly as he seems to be, uh, then he would also be running away. But he doesn't. He intentionally tackles Qui-Gon Jinn to the ground yeah. um, because he was looking for him. Yeah. yeah. The idea is that he is a co-conspirator with Palpatine. Right. So whenever they shut off communication from the starship to uh, to the ground of Naboo, uh, essentially Jar Jar is 
feeding him information saying like, hey, we're on Tatooine now. Hey, we're coming back to Naboo. We're going to Coruscant. Um, that's how they knew like, when to bomb the party and, and where to land and when. Um, so it's, uh, th- that, that's just circumstantial evidence. Of course, like it could have, it could have been just the way things look, you can tie loose ends, but, but Jar Jar is a CGI character. So everything he does is intentional, including when he speaks. And so there are some people who, uh, have noticed that whenever characters are speaking, Jar Jar happens to be ducking behind bushes or around doorways mouthing the lines of the characters that are speaking. Um, Similar to that, whenever Jar Jar is promoted to different positions of power, he is using hand gestures that resemble those of Obi-Wan whenever he was telling them, these are not the droids you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of mind control element that they believe is at play, uh, which is a very Sith-like thing to do. Um, And uh, explains how this clumsy guy was essentially able, seemingly clumsy guy, was able to work his way up into the Galactic Senate um, by the end of it because he is positioning himself in a position of power. Like we said, this is House of Cards in space. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it it was super interesting because um, I had to watch it a couple of different times because like the first time you see Jar Jar Binks, you dismiss him a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just like, okay, well, he's just doing this. But then I remember it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, the Jar Jar Theory. And I was watching him. I'm like, yeah. Like, what? It, like even his goal of um, rising the ranks um, on Naboo, I was like, oh, wow. Like, what if this was his plan all along? Like, what if he was discovering his um, relationship to the Force and his ability to use the Force, but it came off as clumsy? Yeah. And he was banished. And what if he was just out here, like, training? Because he was, like, in this swamp-like area. What if he was just training and all these people were coming out here? And, you know, uh, Qui-Gon says, our interaction, our meeting was not a coincidence. There are no such things as coincidence. We were brought together by the Force. I'm thinking that that would point to that as well. Because mm-hmm. Jar Jar becoming more aware and more developed in his powers, kind of seeing, like, oh, well, I can make people talk like this and even him becoming um, acquainted with um, other uh, Jedi more intimately, it would make sense that even if um, he wasn't, let's just say he wasn't pre um, pre uh, collaborating with Palpatine. I feel like him becoming more aware of his abilities in that point in time would lead him to see what else he can get away with. Yeah. And I think Palpatine would like say conspire with him more than he does with the trade federation. Yeah. Cause why would the trade federation land halfway on the other side of Naboo yeah. and move in? If not to meet up for the rendezvous point with Jar Jar mm-hmm. to move in on that. Um, another interesting thing about the name. Uh, so Vader translates to father. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, the guy pulling the strings that we're talking about that Jar Jar could be uh, his name, Supreme leader Snoke. Uh, Snoke meaning fish. So who is a character that is very fish-like? Ah, that is definitely Jar Jar. He's also played by Andy Serkis, who is the king of motion capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, played Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Um, played Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I forgot he was Caesar. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's pretty much like the go-to motion capture guy. Wow. Uh, he will be playing Supreme Leader Snoke in 
in the upcoming movies. So uh, hints that it's also someone that's motion capture, just like Jar Jar. Yeah, man, that's interesting. I love these fan theories. Even if they're not true, they're fun to think about. They really, really are. Yeah. The um, and uh, I think that's a flawless uh, transition for us talking about even more headcanon. That was more so of other people's headcanon. Yeah. We're going to talk about our own headcanon for this movie. Um, I'm going to borrow yours. Um, what was mine? You, well, you did one from last, um, our last one about Jim All the Way, about um, Jim All the Way being a recall. Oh, um, yeah. For Arnold Schwarzenegger, which makes, I think that fits for every one of his movies, by the way. Mm. It's like any of his, like, family movies, that fits. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing, I, I think that this is uh, a dream of young Anakin. Like, maybe when he was off, like, I was trying to find a moment in the movie where he was, like, sleeping yeah. or something. But, like, after he leaves his mom, he starts dreaming about him having a family that was this, that, the other, like his father, like he never had a father figure. Yeah. Um, because he, he was conceived by the, by the midichlorian. So the idea of him like, oh yeah, if I had a dad, man, he'd be so big and strong. I mean, he'd be like a superhero. And so like, I imagine that would be like a movie or a scenario that a child would dream of. Yeah. I always wondered why he took his helmet off in the original trilogy like, you remember, he, he would retract his helmet and just sit there and look out into space. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's, what's he doing? I thought he died if that happened. But, yeah, he's just sitting there, and so maybe that's what he's thinking about. Yeah, maybe he's yeah. thinking about, hmm, if I had the father, it would be all the swash Uh My headcanon is my go-to headcanon for every week. Oh, no. um, I actually think that Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi are the same person. <laughs> it's uh, the Fight Club theory. Yeah. Why does that work every time? Here's the thing. <laughs> okay, with the exception of the Jedi Council not dealing with the ravings of a madman. No, see, they saw it as just one person saying it, but it's from the perspective of Obi-Wan. Like, these are the, if he could stand up against the Council, this is what he would have done. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh, okay. He's kind of displacing himself between the two. And so whenever, whenever he is watching Qui-Gon Jinn be killed by Darth Maul, he's watching that side of himself, the reckless abandoned side of himself, be killed off because he knows now I have to be responsible and raise Anakin. And I just realized something else. And he could very easily use Jedi mind tricks to make people believe that that was... Him. That there are two of them. Like he was subconsciously using Jedi mind tricks mm -hmm. on other people to have them believe, oh, this is my apprentice. Yeah. And like that's how in tune with the Force he is. Yeah. Oh, man. That's good. It's like, why is Obi-Wan working the comms back at the starship? It should have been Captain Panaka. Like, he's actually talking to Captain Panaka, but he relays it as himself. Yes. Yeah. It works. <laughs> it works every time. And I... I, don't, I, I love it. I love that it works every time. That's good. The only thing that throws it off is it says two Jedi Knights in the, in the little dialogue box. So, and they say two ambassadors are here. Like we, we see them talk about it otherwise, but, you know, headcanon. Yeah. I, I like to believe they are actually the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe he just registered himself. I was like, all right, we need to send an ambassador. We'll take it. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, I thought there'd be two of you. There is. <laughs> um, so they always say, um, in a, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, mm -hmm. 
the technology is very advanced. It's like it took place a long time ago, but in a galaxy far away. My theory about that is it has to do with time displacement and like how you know like um, bringing in gravity um, into this. The um, how they talk about with um, time moves faster the closer you are to like a black star. Like, with gravity, they're saying, okay, well, we've been out here traveling in space. It's been a year for us. It's been 30 years on Earth. Oh, okay. It's been 15 years on Earth. And my guess is that since they are so far away, that it um, they are actually in a future that we are behind on. Mm, which is why they're advanced on technology. Exactly. So I just think, do I think that they basically started just like... in like planetary wise, just like either their time moves faster than ours or that because of the time travel and because of the time displacement that either they're closer to a black star so time just moves faster for them in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my headcanon about like why it's a galaxy uh, or a long, long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. That's interesting. But like Tatooine looks like Bible times. It does. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> But like, but they also have like very high low tech. Yeah, yeah, like they have holograms, but they're pretty glitchy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I'm go fix the satellite. Which like, we have Tupac now. Yeah. Who actually oh. was going to be uh, in the movie? Oh, in the first, in episode one. In episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, no one knew who Mace Windu was, and he's like, "Yeah, forget it," and and Samuel Jackson stepped in. Now you know, uh, and it also lets us know with the um, with like the glitchy technology that um, AT and T exists in the future. Oh! <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor, Verizon. Uh, Verizon. <laughs> <laughs> Not a sponsor. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. I'm glad that happened. Um, okay, so now we're going to um, go into one of one of my favorite segments of the show, uh, where we, we haven't done this in a while, but. Um, our IRL wish list. Oh. Um, Christmas time is happening. Very yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, what movie item or device would you want in real life from the Star Wars universe? A protocol droid would be pretty cool. That would be awesome, right? For the translation purposes. Like, to travel with a protocol droid, hmm. being like, here I am in Beijing. I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I think the protocol droids would be pretty cool. Um, I also love those uh, standard issue Jedi little underwater breathers. Those would be pretty cool. Put David Blaine out of business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because, like, a lot of people would say, oh, well, I want one of those spaceships or I want a lightsaber. I don't want that kind Where of Where are you going to park it and those are dangerous? Yeah. Like, you have to have a license. Yeah. To, like, carry. Concealed lightsaber license. Yeah, concealed lightsaber license. Um and you need that for that, but like I would want something that I would have no issue like having. Yeah. Like, uh, like I would love a protocol droid. Um, I would love one of those little water underwater tank things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually want some of that food that they were eating. What food were they eating? Well, like they were in the market, and Jar Jar was just like kind of eating food. I thought he like ate a frog. Uh, and an apple. We have those things. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, I think you were just hungry when you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. There we have it. That was our 
um, revisit of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Let us know what you think on our Twitter. Uh, we are at Flashback Flicks. And uh, be sure to give us a rating, uh, because this is the podcast you're looking for. Um, oh, yeah. Let us know what you think of the podcast, and uh, even what movie you'd like for us to uh, review next week, because we're, we're getting to a point where we are finally welcoming suggestions. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys um, about what you thought about uh, episode one, if you have started rewatching it in recent time. Yeah, also, what, what are some of your theories about uh, Episode 7 coming up before that really launches? I know we have theories that we don't want to share because we don't want to taint the experience for anybody who's watching it f- for fresh eyes. But, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah. We're super interested. Totally. Because we like you as people. We like you as people. And be sure to join us next time on the Flashback Flicks Podcast where we... Brush up on our claymation. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Podcast. Remember to be kind. Rewind.